You want to find your tribe of raving fans. I'm going to help you do it. This is the Digging Deep Podcast with 360 Media, where we help you do better business. Hey everybody, this is Justin Lamb, and you're watching episode 13 of Digging Deep, where we help business owners build better businesses. Today I'm joined with uh, owner and um, uh, physiotherapist, uh, Will Cito from InSync Physio. He's been in the business for almost two decades, owning two locations, one in Vancouver and one in Burnaby. And he's, he's got an amazing set of physiotherapists. Uh, he himself works with his clients. Um, and they've been uh, you know, nominated and won uh, numerous awards, including the Best of Vancouver uh, by the Georgia Street and uh, the Vancouver Courier Stars of Vancouver. So, Will, uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here today. Thanks, uh, Justin. Uh, it's my pleasure to be on the show today. Amazing. So uh, what's, what's been happening, uh, you know, since COVID started? Um, well, we closed down right away, like um, March uh, 15th was a Sunday. Um, so timeline wise, I remember we were just coming back from holidays, um, March 14th. Uh, I think that was a Saturday or something like that. And then uh, we were away at Parksville and it was all surreal because it was happening. All this stuff started blowing up while we were away. And then we came back on the Saturday and then, um, and then Sunday, Monday rolled around. I actually, we actually were still open on the Monday the 16th. And, and then I got together with some of, um, some of my core physio group um, from the clinics and we talked about what our next steps are and and we decided yeah you know we, we just got to close it down and this is before they even issued any mandatory closures and we decided that that's the best thing to do and um and then before we knew it when we closed down when we announced our closure for march 17th every other clinic started to close down and then we, a week later that's when the ministry announced uh, mandatory closures so um we've been basically physically shut down since march the 17th and um yeah uh, we nobody like rmts our staff of well our contractors i should say we have um seven rmts and 10 physios and we haven't physically worked since then um and we have taken on telehealth pretty quickly only for the pts for the physios the RMTs were not allowed to do any kind of telehealth at all. And even the telehealth that we're doing, you know, probably only adds up to at max, like five to 7% of our actual gross. Hmm. And so when you get faced with something like this, um, where, you know, you're having to manage a, a team, you know, from a leadership perspective, where would you, you know, suggest people who you know, are in the health space as, as a business and operator, like, you know, what steps could, could they have taken or what steps should they take, you know, to, to keep their team, you know, both mentally healthy and, you know, prepared and, and uh, ready for, for something of this nature? What did you guys do? What did you do? Well, well um, there, there, first of all, like I, I think it's really hard to prepare for anything like this. Um, you know, like it's a really rare event. Like it's a, 
you know, one of these things where a lot of people are, are sort of drawing the parallels of like, you know, the Spanish flu and how that happened back in 1918 versus, uh, you know, the, this is the modern age, right? Uh, which presents a lot of other complications, but also a lot of cool um, things with technology, like our ability to do like sort of what we're doing now, uh, like a, a podcast Zoom type of connection. Whereas, you know, um, back then, like everybody was much more disconnected. So I think, um, you know, the things that we've been doing while this has been going on, I think, um, number one, really, um, I, th I think the most important thing, number one, is really, um, really just coming to grips with how you feel about it all and being able to go through those stages of like, of grief. I mean, because in reality, like, it's a big loss. So there's like, losses at many levels. And I think initially, you know, there was like the denial phase, you know, like this isn't happening, you know, and then, and then, and then you move through that. And then I remember I was also feeling like quite angry, you know, but, but it was difficult because it was like, not like you're angry at anyone or any, you know, person, like, you know, it's just, um, but the anger was there. I was angry at like me, you know, part of it was like myself or maybe, oh, was there something I could have done, you know, preventing this and could I have been more prepared? Like you were saying, like asking and, and getting sort of my insight on, but I don't think you can be, right? I, I think it's um, moving through those stages and acknowledging them, acknowledging how you feel. Um, and, and we get together, our team gets together uh, on, a, on a weekly basis to connect, um, to really see where everybody's at, uh, to, to really look at, um, you know, how we keep, we're going to keep moving forward. And the first week, the first um, meeting that we had, we talked about telehealth and, and really like that was the, sort of the game plan. So it was really like accepting and looking at um, the physical condition of where we're at, but then helping each other, like, like understanding, acknowledge the emotional component of what's going on because it's huge, right? And, and I think that that's actually more important than I think a lot of us uh, realize. That emotional aspect of like um, feeling, I mean, you feel it, we all feel it, the social isolation, um, the emotional dread that comes with uncertainty, even though like things are better for us definitely and for a lot of people now, um, but there's still this, this uncertainty that looms over me and a, lo a lot of us of like, you know, what's, what's going to happen? Like, when is this going to actually reopen? Even though we keep hearing, you know, the Minister of Health and, you know, Dr. Bonnie Henry talk about um, the potential reopening end of May or June and that she wants to see at least two days of no increased infection rates. You know, it's, it's, but there's still this uncertainty of like when and how and what it's going to look like. So, yeah. Yeah, I, sort I, mean, of... I totally understand. And I think for leaders um, of organizations, you know, to, to help soothe and, and help ease the, the people who uh, work with them and work for them, 
you know, being a good leader is both being vulnerable and then also uh, being cognizant of of emotions uh, that run throughout the organization and making sure that you address them, making sure that they feel secure. Um, because like you said, it's easy to be uh, and feel lost in this time period uh, and feel helpless. Um, and, you know, funny that May is coming up is mental health month, but it's uh, the mental health aspect of it is, is so much people, so much of it is hidden because people don't want to be like the Debbie Downer or don't want to feel like that person who's Debbie Down. But there are a lot of people who are hurting emotionally um, who may not be speaking up about it. Uh, and, and that's something that as leaders, we have to be um, vigilant uh, about the signs of the, those things. Um, so when it comes to say work um, and, and the workplace environment for business owners, I think a lot of people uh, or at least a lot of businesses uh, have extended health. And one of the things that um, I think a lot of people have misconceptions about in terms of using their extended health is you know, trying to front load or, or do uh, only physiotherapy when they have the, uh, the subsidy in place. So one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was, you know, how could a person who may have benefits maybe you know, wouldn't necessarily come to see a physiotherapist outside of that. How are, how would they be able to adjust, you know, the way they, they interact with uh, a physiotherapist um, so that they have a better course of action throughout, you know, the, the year as their benefits, you know, can continue to expire or all their, their sessions kind of expire. Like what can they, what could they better do rather than waiting till like November of the year and realizing that they have 10, 15 physio sessions uh, available and they're coming to see you uh, weekly yeah. all the way to the end. Yeah. So um, like with the um, telehealth, which is the video consultations, um, you know, set up through secure video platforms uh, with regards to like a physio assessment or treatment, we've uh, been able to get a lot of extended health insurance companies uh to to cover physio um like ranging from like manual life blue cross uh i think sun life uh and then i think canada life is now on board um all, like a lot of big big insurance companies have have made the switch over realizing that um you know this is actually the 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 demand and because of that um we We've been doing the telehealth or the video conferencing for um, for over a month, up to five, uh, going on our fifth and sixth week now. And so we have um, we we have been seeing definitely patients for that time period, and have successfully helped uh, you know a lot of people. Uh, but like I was mentioning earlier, um, we we aren't seeing the same amount of volume because people definitely still like and want that that hands-on sort of physical touch right but there's still a lot of things that um you know in terms of the video conferencing that is beneficial uh, and especially like when you look at the things that are limited now and the restrictions in place in terms of physical activity you know you don't have sports like you normally do and a lot of it's like you know stuff that you can do on your own like running uh you know and other types of in-home exercise program training uh, and so there are things that 
um, you know, will come up. Like we've treated people with like acute sprained ankles, um, you know, wry necks and sprain their backs and shoulder issues. Um, I myself have, uh, you know, have spoken to uh, a good handful of my clients who are like rock climbers, uh, you know, and they're, you know, it's, they're, they're in a tough bind right now, but like just giving them that guidance and direction, you know, with uh, what, what uh, they can do in the meantime, you know, and what kind of things that um, are beneficial to help them until they can actually see their um, physical therapist or physiotherapist in person it can be helpful instead of waiting, like you said, until like, you know, um, mid-summer, end of summer and realizing that, um, oh yeah, you know, like now I can actually go and see a physio. Um, there, there's still a lot that we can do that, to, to help out. Um, so for, I think, I think that's probably the, the one thing that we can still keep doing. Um, and obviously it's going to be a limited capacity. So. So are you instructing all your rock climbing uh, patients to boulder around the house, you know, up and down the, the stairwells and all <laughs> across the windows, getting them to boulder around the house uh, for exercise? Well, I, I don't th I think I need to. I think they're kind of doing that on their own accord. <laughs> what, what I, what I uh, help with is, um, you know, really giving them advice on starting points. Like, okay, so if they've been injured, looking at the starting point of when can they actually start uh, doing um, like hangboard training, for example. So like a hangboard is, is a good tool. Um, you know, it's, it's basically a, a board that uh, mimics climbing holds to certain depths and certain angles where you can uh, basically train your contact strength for your, your hands and your fingers. And it's, it's uh, you know, stuff like that, for example, right? Like, um, or like if they've sprained their ankle, you know, like assessing it for them, you know, on video conferencing and looking at, you know, what, um, what, what degree do we think it is based on what we see and, you know, and sort of these other um, tests that we can't do manually, but we can still do like objectively and watch them do movement patterns that we can say, okay, yeah, you know, you can start trying this. And if it, if it feels okay, if it doesn't hurt, then you can try doing, you know, increasing your cardio with this with this so basically our um i mean our advice or the benefit that we can provide for for people like that is just starting points um what to what to do in terms of preventing it from happening again and things to do uh i guess related to the starting points is how to make it stronger uh in a way that it's not going to make it uh worse or prevent the delay of the healing basically mm. So why don't we take COVID aside and let's dive some dive down a little bit. So, you know, you, you just talked about um, people delaying the uh, time of, of which they go to see a physiotherapist and, and in the workplace, I think there's a lot of, of that where, you know, I now more than ever before, we're more sedentary and, you know, our, our movements and our, our exercise comes from, you know, doing classes one off but we're really not super mobile and a lot of people are living through pain um you know at work and at, that decreases productivity because you know their mind is being you know shifted elsewhere and so what would you recommend for an employer um you know who has who has 
workers who are sitting in desks all day long, um, what could they do to empower their employees uh, and, and get them engaged into going to see a physiotherapist for those sore, you know, joints or, or injuries, um, you know, without having to bludgeon them over the head or to, to wait till things get worse, um, where they're having to, you know, take on uh, short-term or long-term disability. Uh, well, what type of things could, could uh, owners, business owners do uh, from a physiotherapist standpoint to empower their employees? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and like without these restrictions and without COVID even being one of the factors, like I think there, there's a, a few, I think there's a few factors here that, that um, help encourage that. I think, I think the first thing is looking at what kind of a healthcare plan do, do most people have? Like, so if the employer has a healthcare plan in place uh, for uh, their employees, uh, you know, that, that's also like something that we, a lot of employees look at. So do I have the extended healthcare coverage that gives me, um, you know, support for physio? Uh, the, the, that's probably the first one. Um, the second one is also the culture. So um, the culture being like, how do, you, how do you design the way that the people in your company uh, you know, you know, like how do they, how do they motivate themselves in the workplace, and what is like, what is their perspective, and, and what is it like motivates them? So, um, part of that is like, do you have a, do you have a culture in your company that is generally active? Do they like to do things, uh, and are they in that mindset? You know, um, yeah. Granted, you may have a. Uh, you know, a job or your employees have a job where they're sitting a lot, but are you encouraging, like, are you encouraging a type of culture? And that, and this is where as a leader of any type of organization, are you the one that's encouraging an, an active mobile workplace? So this, this can be, um, you know, from something as like in, in terms of physical space where, you know, you have like a little gym or something like that. to like, even, uh, do you have like things that you set up on a monthly basis where you all get together and you, you know, you do like the grouse grind once a month or do you um, get out and do something physical once a month altogether? Like, do you guys go and do like a, a fun adventure excursion, like rock climbing or something like that? Right. Um, and do you have other people initiating it? And it's not just you. Cause that's the other factor too. Cause if it's always just coming from you, then it's not really uh, as more of an intrinsic motivation as it is more than becomes extrinsic uh, because you need to be able to have the people within the group light the fire underneath their own butt. So it becomes this extrinsic factor where, uh, you, you know, it, it, are they are they doing it amongst themselves? And, and so um, that's kind of the, the thing. So how do, you, how do you inspire that? And I think a lot of that comes back down to your leadership. So it's like, do you lead from the top up or the bottom down? Uh, so um, I don't know. Those are those are sort of some things that I think that I've I've kind of um, been been running across with uh, regards to designing a culture that that uh, that is built on not just positivity but also on proactivity. And okay. so going going back to your question about you know the whole 
yeah, the, the whole thing about um, how do you how do you do that as as a leader? Um, you just really have to find ways to inspire people uh, from within. Hmm. Okay, and you know, I think nowadays it's more and more common, at least you know, uh, as I have conversations with people who are in the workforce, uh, it is common for them to you know pull a muscle or do something silly, um, but then they just feel like they just leave it alone and you know it'll heal up on its own uh, now me having a health background uh, i'm i'm of the the camp that uh, those things should be addressed before they sit and fester and cause other problems but you know want to hear from your perspective you know for somebody who gets hurt um you know maybe maybe pulls pulls a muscle for you know, from doing something, maybe not super intense, but, you know, they'll rather than go see a massage therapist, go see a physiotherapist to kind of get it back up and running and, and properly mobile. Um, you know, they let us faster and let us sit there. You know, what is your take on, on people who do that? And, you know, what would you encourage them to do instead? Yeah. So, uh, that, no, that's a good question. And I think uh, I see, you know, it's interesting because I, when, when we do see people in the clinic, it, it's like a lot of them have done the wait and see and then, oh, now I got to come in because it's just not getting better. And uh, so what do you do sort of in that stage uh, before you come in? Like, I, you know, I think um, it, it's a... Uh, <laughs> It, it's one of these things like it's it's really tough it's kind of like you can only lead a horse to water right i mean you can only give them the information and i think there's only so much of that that you can do until they decide right until they decide yeah you know this is the this is the pain point i need to go do something about it and quite often that's um a lot of what we see, like a lot of people end up reaching a pain point. Uh, granted, that's not like 100% of our, our clientele and, and the people that we see, because there are people that are proactive for sure, right? But we do see like definitely a large portion of people that are like, you know, this is the pain point or, or they've had an acute injury and they know they gotta go and get it taken care of. Um, and, and I think it's tough like when you have the nagging injuries that you can just let go like the, the chronic Achilles tendonitis or turns into a tendinopathy, which is a long, uh, a longer term um, issue. It, you know, I, I think um, it, go, it comes back down to, it basically boils back down to like, um, how important is it for, for that person? And, and then as, as someone like say, if they are my employee, how do I make, how, how do I help them see how important it is to get better. So, um, you know, and part of what we do obviously with the people that we hire is like, we, we wanna hire people that are proactive, right? Um, and then there's a lot more sort of a positive raw material or, you know, something that you can work with. So um, I, think, I think really it's just like, as long as you give them the information and the data, like for example, Studies have shown that, uh, you know, once you like get into a car accident and you got whiplash, and especially if it's mild, you know, getting your starting to work on your mobility 
And actually, you know, physiotherapy is a combination of working on manual therapy and hands-on techniques to increase your mobility, but also specific types of exercise. And uh, just like basically doing things that are not aggravating it is going to actually help with it to recovery mm-hmm. a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Instead of like putting yourself in a neck brace, which is like totally old school, and then taking it out in about four to six weeks. I mean, if it's severe and you got really bad whiplash, then yeah, you know, like that might actually be good if it's some other more serious issues going on. But like for the mild cases, you know, you want to start to get it moving, which basically, um, you know, reinforces that uh, um, notion of, um, you know, uh, that uh, motion is lotion, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Uh movement i mean the body i think was designed for movement and not not to be in a static position for an extended period of time i think um the muscles um the the fascial tissue they all start to to stiffen um you know they they don't they don't become uh they start to become less malleable um you know less flexible uh with with uh, bed rest uh i i just think bodies are not designed for for that uh for for an extended period of time um well why don't i switch gears here because i know that you've been an avid sports uh a competitor uh for for much of your life and one of the things i think would be interesting to to kind of pick at um, would be to see how sports uh, competitive sports particularly has impacted you as a business owner business leader um, and you know what type of things and and traits that come from being an elite athlete, uh, you know, and how does that translate, you know, to to a business owner and and the type of life and and way that you operate? Yeah. So um, personally speaking, so my so my sporting background, uh, I used to um, I used to do well. I did um, volleyball for quite a while. Um, so this is going way back when I was in, even in the high, like grade nine high school, I started off playing competitive volleyball for the high school team. Uh, and then, um, what I really got into was actually more, uh, competitive Olympic freestyle wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I did that for, uh, six, six years. And, um, I started off, you know, kind of at a lower level and then, uh, worked my way up, uh, uh wrestling for, a club and um, basically wrestled uh, for the province of Ontario. This is uh, back back in the, the Durham region. And then uh, went to, um, you know, kind of a semi-high level, but um, not like I never ended up, uh, you know, getting into like the Olympic level. So um, the Olympic freestyle wrestling is just basically called Olympic freestyle because it's a style of wrestling. So I did that for, for uh, several years. And then um, after that, I, I ended up playing um, a competitive ultimate, uh, which was a more kind of like around post uh, undergrad university and that for a few years. And then most of my um, training also in relation to, you know, with competitive ultimate was um, involving running. And I kind of got into a, a little bit more uh, long distance running and, and I joined the track team at, at the university where I had finished my undergrad uh, and was about to go into the physio program. And uh, yeah, and I really liked that. And it was, it was a team um, training sessions for sure. 
with regards to cross country and, and sort of that track element, which I really loved because it, you kind of work together as a team to help each other um, basically get faster and work on your endurance. And it was also a mindset thing. So with my background in wrestling and uh, competitive ultimate, and then ultimately like as more non-competitive, but more uh, as an avid rock climber, um, I really took a lot of the like things that I did at a younger age and started to apply the things that I um, did with the training that I did with wrestling and ultimate and apply it to what I do now to try and, you know, stay fit and also just with my um, avid uh, fitness routine uh, that I have with, with like rock climbing. Uh, I think the things that I've learned essentially um, from all of this and how it applies to, to being a, a better business owner and a leader in, in, you know, the regard of leading people is first of all, you, you need to be um, very um, self-disciplined. Like you need to be able to um, develop that self-discipline through consistency. And, and I think that's the, one of the most important things that, that I think you, you can have as a successful leader. Um, because through that, you lead by example. And then you can um, basically leading by example, you, you know, then you have more credibility in being able to talk to, you know, the people that work for you that, that you want to lead. And, and as you do that, like, and, I, and I'm doing that to the, you know, like even now, like as I, as I work in the clinics, I'm in the trenches with them, right? Uh, you know, I treat patients and I love it. And we, we meet regularly, regularly and we talk about things that we um, come across. And um, that's one of the biggest things I miss actually, you know, um, is that getting together. So having that um, self-discipline and then, um, and then I think, you know, just being able to work hard, being a hard worker, um, to be able to, um, you know, get up and keep going after being beaten down um, or failing, you know, and I think the working hard and learning from your failures, they go hand in hand because um, I've failed a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. And if I didn't take, you know, what did I learn from this every time I failed, then, then I don't think I would be able to improve and get better, right? And, and um, that's, that, that is so super important, uh, you know? And, and so like, like that, that ability to be able to actually learn from your mistakes is, will, is what will make you better. Uh, and I think, and I think the last thing really is, is um, having an emotional bandwidth and the emotional capacity to be able to, um, you know, like we we talked about earlier, just to be, to be able to be vulnerable, and work through um, acknowledging where we're at and how we're feeling in the moment, uh, and and really a lot of that is just you know using your empathy and. Um, you know, compa being compassionate towards others. And like, obviously in our profession, that's what we're doing, you know, in treating people, but also like, you know, when you're leading people, you gotta put yourself in their shoes all the time, you know? And uh, when you're leading like, you know, a group of like 15 to 20 people, sometimes it's difficult. 
So, um, yeah, there you have it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think being um, you know a competitive athlete, a lot of things that um, you you do is that you're constantly in a state of improvement. You know, one little extra piece to to make you a better competitor, uh, and I think that translates as uh, a business owner in that you're always looking for a little bit more to do a little bit better to be better than the, your your last at bat. And and there is a there's a common saying out there that you're only good as your your last uh, at bat, so to speak. You know, your last, you know, whatever your last execution was. And I think when you're in a place where you're you're a leader um, and you bring all this, you know, to the table, uh, it is it is really interesting that I find some of the best leaders actually come from you know competitive sporting backgrounds. Now. We talked to uh, you, you touched on it briefly, and um, that was the ability for you know you to to access uh, a wide range of emotions, um, you know, as a leader. Uh, and, and in a competitive space, it's it's highs and lows, and and um, you know you get the thrill of winning, and then of course like the, the sourness of 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 loss and defeat. So you know let's just, we translate that now to, to where we're at in, in today's society um, where COVID is, is taking, you know, that beating down, you know, do you have any particular tools or any mental strategies that you use to help you, you know, weather through those highs and lows, or do you just take the swings? Like, do you, do you just accept the swings that they are? Or do you have some mental tools um, that you utilize or implement to kind of keep you a little bit more even keeled? Yeah, no. So, um, first of all, I think you need to be able to uh, set goals. And when you set your goal, it, it provides you, it provides you this vision of what you want. And when you, when you have that, then you can transport yourself from where you're at now to where you want to be. And so it, it, in a lot of ways, when you're like envisioning and you're imagining what you, you picture uh, you, where you want to go and, and, your, and your goal of, of whatever it is, career, personal, uh, whatever that is, right? You know, you, you start to also transport like your emotional well-being from like, you know, like you, say something is going on and you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and, and then you just feel a certain way. And then you have your coffee and your breakfast and you start to like envision your goal, you can transport that emotion of that, you know, waking up on the wrong side of the bed feeling to like your emotional state, right? That's so important. And I think related to, to, to that is your ability, my, like my efforts in trying to always go from like, you know, like a, a certain low state that I may find myself in for whatever reason, like I got bad news that, you know, my, something happened to to one of my best employees or one of my um, best physios or something like that, and then trying to like basically rebound off of that and looking at okay, well, what's my overall goal? And being able to basically just do a, a state change, changing uh, changing the way I feel. So not to say that I'm like, you know, not acknowledging my emotions, but it's just like looking at okay, 
you know what, this is how, this is how I want to be if I want to try and, you know, work towards this. Because ultimately, I, I, I'm less efficient and uh, less creative and less, you know, all those things that make me more productive if my state is lower, right? So there's a time and place to be able to acknowledge that. And I think it's important, but like to always look at, okay, so what state do I want to be in and connecting with my goal state, right? And, and so I think those are, those are um, um, things that I, I try and utilize on a daily basis. Um, the, the, other, the other thing that I think is also really important with respect to what you're asking, I think is, um, is connected to that emotionality is really figuring out, um, you know, why do I do what I want? Why do I do what I want to do? And I was actually talking about this with uh, um, my physio group about, you know, another group that I meet with uh, that are um, really um, like-minded in terms of entrepreneurs. And they really, um, you know, it was interesting because we had a discussion last week about, um, you know, what, what can we do right now to pivot our current situation so that way we can survive in order to thrive once um, the current situation passes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's not an easy answer. And, you know, and that's okay. Because I think it's, it's it, for us at least, right? And I think that there's just so many factors for us to consider. And obviously the physical aspect of what we do is the most important part. And so it got me thinking about all these other things that we can do. And then, and then I started realizing, you know, wow, this could be part of our new vision and goal once things go back to normal. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that being able to like, um, you know, really uh, go back and also change and revisit your, your goal and, and going back to that goal state and your emotionality related to that, right, um, is, is super helpful for me. Hmm. Well, it sounds like you've done a lot of uh, personal development work, and that leads me into my next uh, question, which is, I generally like to to provide some uh, extra value to the people who are listening to this. Uh, what type of, uh, if you were to pick one piece of um, uh, of material or or one piece of influence that you know gave you a really big pivot point in, in your career, in your life, you know, something that a person can either you know, look up, read, um, you know, what, what would you choose if you were to say one thing that really made an impact on your life? What type of, what type of uh, material would you, would you suggest? What book, what podcast, what, whatever it is, give me a piece. Yeah. yeah there's just so many, Justin. Um, ah, I, yeah, this is the hard <clears throat> part. So I'm going to make you yeah. narrow it down to one. If you said, I know, you know I know you've got to read I this. I, 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 I can't, no, I, I can't just narrow down the one, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you um, one that's a little bit more fresh in my mind. Not just, not because I, not because I've just read it recently. Um, actually, it was a, it was a book that I, I had finished reading, you know, probably about a couple months ago. And um, I might've mentioned it to you before personally, it's called uh, Mindset mm -hmm. uh, by Carol Duicky or Duick. I might be pronouncing her last name wrong, but it's, it talks about, um, uh, you know, what a growth mindset is versus, um, versus a, a static or a non-growth mindset. And 
Um, it, and it's, it was an interesting read because, I mean, so she's uh, a researcher uh, and she comes from this background where she wrote this book that was also really re heavily referenced based on previous studies and research, which is why I really liked it. But then the way that it was written, it was, it was a very good, easy read. Like, it wasn't like scientific read. It was um, sort of a really cool kind of, um, you know, I don't know how to um, best describe it. It's definitely something where um, I got a lot out of it um, in the sense that I was able to actually look at all the things that I've done in my previous um, like ventures of learning and growth. And it all tied all that together. Um, and the last, the last chapter, the last portion of that whole book, uh, I thought was actually really cool too, because it, it talked about how, um, you know, the growth mindset, kind of like what Simon Sinek talks about the infinite game. And this is where I'm talking about how like it, it sort of meshes in with a lot of other things. And like Simon Sinek talks about the infinite game and the growth mindset is like, it never ends. Like, and it's not just like, oh, you have a growth mindset. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm gonna apply these principles of growth mindset and I'll have a growth mindset. It's not like you arrive there, right? So it's like a process. It's basically um, a process of discovery and learning. And, and that's the, the process of a growth mindset. And I think that that growth mindset, when I look back about everything that I've done um, in my life that I feel like has been an accomplishment, like um, the clinics to, um, I guess, even more further back or even during the time of uh, running my clinics is, uh, like I was telling you about, I'm an avid rock climber. So I set a lot of avid rock climbing goals. And so what I, what I mean by that is like, I'll, I'll look at certain things in terms of uh, rock climbing as a project that I wanna um, ascend or climb up on. And uh, some of them seem like, an, will seem physically impossible. Uh, and I remember some, some projects that I've actually uh, set as a, as, a, as a target or as a goal and thought, oh yeah, I'm never gonna get that this year. And, and I remember one specifically where I ended up, I mean, I did try it initially without um, really thinking much about it. And then I left it alone for like two years thinking that I would never get it. But then this like two years later and two years of like doing a lot of personal work and then realizing my potential, I started going through a, a goal setting with this specific rock climb. And I thought still, even then, oh yeah, I'm, not, I'm never gonna get it this year. This year will just be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get stronger and then I'll get it eventually. You know, maybe, maybe next year or the year after. I got it in six weeks. So um, I, I use the reference of rock climbing because it's one of those things where you either get up the thing or you don't. Mm -hmm. And I think mindset is, is, has really been one of those books that that's been really, um, been, been really cool to read. Uh, and it really helps me tap into a lot of these other things that I've learned. Cool. Well, so much, thanks so much for, uh, for sharing that with us and thanks so much for being on the sh on the show really do appreciate it it's uh it's great to talk to you uh about you know health and how it relates to the to to the workplace and you know how people can you know, take uh the time out uh to to really still work on their health even though we're not able to see each other in person that you offer that uh, in telehealth so you know i really do appreciate you being on the show today 
Well, thanks for having me and uh, thanks for letting me ramble. <laughs> no worries.